Well, I want to begin by saying that I'm delighted to join the staff team here at St. George's. Many of you probably know my wife, Kate, who directs the children's and family ministries. You probably know my kids, but might not know me. And so I'm looking forward to getting to know all of you over the next few weeks and months. I'm also glad to be back here preaching at the table. The last time I was here, it was part of my interview process, actually. And it was the Feast of St. George, so no pressure, right? I was nervous, I hadn't preached in a while, and I'd never preached from handheld notes before. As a professor, I'm used to the safety of a podium. And seeing everyone gathered here, I, I chickened out and actually preached a sermon on the importance of courage in the Christian life from back there at the podium. <laughs> so in today's gospel, we find Jesus teaching in a synagogue. Up to this point in Luke, Jesus has largely taught outside to gathered crowds. And when he's taught, his focus has been on the nature of the coming kingdom of God. And God's kingdom, as you know, is characterized by God's reign of justice and peace. And God's good pleasure is to give this kingdom to us so we can enjoy it. Jesus has taught us that citizens of the kingdom, those who follow him, treasure the right things, care for the needy, avoid fear and anxiety, even when it's costly to follow Jesus. That's the immediate context to the previous chapter, chapter 12 in Luke. Now in chapter 13, Jesus is in a synagogue, a new place, new pressures. He's borrowing another person's pulpit. So what's gonna happen? Well, Jesus switches from teaching about the nature of the kingdom to demonstrating the power of the kingdom. And true to form, he causes a controversy. You know he does this everywhere he goes. At issue is the Sabbath. What's it about? How should God's people live on it? So these are the two topics we'll talk about this morning. So here's the scene. Jesus is up front teaching and a woman walks in at the back. She's bent over. She can't stand up straight. Perhaps she's late because she's been ostracized and is wanting to not be noticed by everyone who's gathered. Or she might be late because it just takes her a long time to get anywhere. Regardless, Jesus sees her, calls her up front, stops his sermon. And in full view of everyone, lays his hands on her and says, you are set free from your ailment. Immediately, Luke says, she stands up straight and begins to praise God. The congregation must have been astonished. What power? God's kingdom is finally here. But the synagogue leader is indignant. Luke says he keeps on saying, there are six days on which work ought to be done, not on the Sabbath. Six days for working, not the Sabbath. He's making a scene. So why would he do this? Number of reasons. Maybe he doesn't like being upstaged. He can't heal in the way that Jesus can. He worries he'll lose his place of leadership in the community. Maybe he's just a jerk and uses religious rules to control people. Unfortunately, he wouldn't be the first or the last religious leader to do that. But tempting as those explanations are, I think we can give him the benefit of the doubt 
and assume he had good motives. Let's just assume that <laughs> for argument's sake. Let's assume he wanted to keep the Sabbath holy. And in his mind, that means doing no work, not even healing. So why would he make a big deal about this? Well, it's important to remember that the Sabbath is actually key to Israelite identity. It's a gift from God, a day of rest and celebration. It's a sign of God's covenant that God made with Israel. And the Sabbath is actually so important that it's mentioned countless times in the Old and New Testaments. If you go to the Bible Gateway website and just enter Sabbath in the search, you'll have 60, 80, 100 references to consider. In the book of Exodus, God commands a day of rest to imitate God's work in creation. God makes the world in six days and rests on the seventh. So we're to do likewise and keep the Sabbath holy. That's what Exodus says. In Deuteronomy, we're given another reason. God commands a day of rest to remember that the Israelites were delivered from slavery in Egypt. You're slaves no more. Work doesn't have power over you. So rest, celebrate. This is actually the best kind of command, if you think about it. It's a command to have fun. We usually think of commands as avoiding bad things. Don't steal that car, don't lie to get ahead, that sort of thing. But with Sabbath rest, God commands us to enjoy the abundant life, to celebrate God's bounty. And to be clear, God envisions an expansive Sabbath rest. All people, all animals, even the land is to rest. And the underlying idea is that work does not define us. Our relationship with God does. And we're not in control. God is. And God provides for all that we need. So those who rest on the Sabbath rightly recognize those core truths. To encourage obedience on the Sabbath, God has a lot of promises. I will bless those who obey says in Leviticus that if we rest and trust that God will provide, God will dwell with us, give us all the food we need, even more than we actually need, give us peace and security. We'll flourish rather than live in fear. In contrast, those who don't keep the Sabbath don't trust in God, and they experience something else entirely. God doesn't dwell with them, They'll go hungry, they lose their land, they're overwhelmed with fear and the lack of security. So it's possible that the synagogue leader is actually worried about God departing. No work should be done on the Sabbath if we want to live well with God. Jesus is in the wrong. Maybe that's where he's coming from. In response, as Jesus does, he often turns things on its head. And he clarifies what the Sabbath actually means. The Sabbath is not just about following rules and avoiding work, as a synagogue leader suggests. To drive home this point, Jesus says, don't you give your animals water on the Sabbath? Don't you care for them and their need? You hypocrites. How much more should a daughter of Abraham be healed from her bonds? If the Sabbath is about enjoying God's provision, we should set her free. 
That is actually what keeps God near. This past week, we had an accident at home, and our golden doodle puppy got hurt. We let him outside, and he saw a squirrel, and as is, is his want, he charged after the squirrel, only he collided with the fence, and he actually broke both bones in his right foreleg. So now he has a cast nearly up to his shoulder. He hobbles about. He can't do much, but he's a puppy, and he just wants to play so he's trying to figure out how to fetch and climb up onto the couch and do all the stuff that puppies do. He's got to learn to take it easy. The point Jesus is making by drawing attention to animals is this. Wouldn't you care for Fred on the Sabbath? You'd have to be pretty callous not to bring him food and water and let him outside. And if you would do that for your dog, you should also care for the people around you that are in need. Because in doing so, you bring them into the abundant life that God wants for all of us. So the Sabbath for Jesus is not just avoiding work. It's about enjoying God's reign. It's about participating in it. And this is why Jesus, as he's been teaching about the kingdom of God throughout Luke's gospel, says things like, don't worry, worship God. Don't calculate cost and benefit. Celebrate what God has given. Don't work, but do good. That's the Sabbath. And in making this clear, Jesus' opponents were put to shame, as Luke says. And the crowd rejoices that a daughter of Abraham has been set free. Now, before I consider the implications of what this passage means for us, I want to say that I hope that in the future when I need a sermon illustration, nothing bad happens to Fred. <laughs> that would be <laughs> most unfortunate. Um, so what should we make of this story? Honestly, this Sabbath's a challenge for us in our society. We're taught to define ourselves by our work. I'm a teacher, we say, not I'm a child of God who teaches. We determine value by output. I matter because I achieved X, Y, or Z. Not, I matter because God made me and loves me and set me free. And we worry about the future. What will come next if I don't finish this project? Not, God is in control, so I have nothing to fear. So we may or may not have physical ailments like the woman in the gospel, but we do things that bring ourselves low sometimes. We're good at heaping on burdens that weigh us down. As an example of this, um, I can't sleep when I'm worried. Is anyone else here like that? I worry about work or family or friends and I'm up. And so I get out of bed and I do some tasks The next day, I'm fatigued. So I don't work as well, I'm not as efficient, I get behind, and the cycle repeats. After several days of this, I'm stressed and I'm exhausted. I need God to call me forward and say, you are set free, just like Jesus said to the woman. That kind of healing is a sign of God's reign. That kind of deliverance is God breaking into this world. 
And in this story, Jesus actually indicates what he wants to do for everybody. To lift us up to new life with God. Jesus wants to give us the kingdom where we lay our burdens down. But we have to follow him. We have to trust that God will provide. So this woman is actually a great example for all of us. Her immediate response for healing is to praise God. She honors God the creator and God the redeemer for setting her free. So in conclusion, by healing the woman, Jesus demonstrates the power of God's reign, which lifts us up to new life in Christ. And in his response to the synagogue leader, Jesus clarifies the meaning of the Sabbath. We rest from our labors, celebrate God's good gifts, and enjoy the abundant life with others. This is how we should live, Jesus says. But to do so, we have to remember his words. You are set free. Thanks be to God. Amen.